The Ask Anatomist podcast is co-sponsored by the Faculty of Medicine, Nursing, Health Sciences at Monash University and by the American Association of Anatomists. The American Association of Anatomists is a scientific membership organization advancing anatomical science through research, education, and professional development. For information on its range of membership options, scientific meetings, and available grants and funding, please visit www.anatomy.org. Welcome to Ask Anatomist, a podcast for the medically curious and for medical students. Today's episode, are you seeing me clearly? I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Lazarus, a senior lecturer in the Center for Human Anatomy Education in the Faculty of Medicine, Nursing, and Health Sciences at Monash University. Just before we get started, I want to remind our audience that the following episode is for informational and educational purposes only. Discussions that take place do not replace consultation with your medical health professional nor the prescriptions provided by them. Please consult a medical professional before adapting to your own circumstance anything you hear on this podcast. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. You may have heard that a South Australian company is currently doing a trial on using laser to treat macular degeneration. Macular degeneration is a leading cause of severe visual impairment in Australian adults who are greater than 40 years old. This new trial is scheduled to finish this year, so today, let's talk about macular degeneration. We have an excellent team of panelists here. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Professor Paul McMiniman. I'm an anatomist, and also I've been doing eye research for about 40 years. Hello, my name's Dr. Georgina Stevens. I'm a registered medical practitioner who works primarily in education, and apologies for my slight touch of laryngitis today. For a topic on another podcast. And my name is Jonathan, the resident medical student today. I guess the obvious place to start would be, what is macular degeneration? Macular degeneration is an age-related disease of the macula, which is the specialized area, the central part of your retina, which you use for the highest visual acuity functioning that you perform in everyday life. And as we age, some people develop a problem with specialized layer within the retina called the retinal pigment epithelium and the underlying vascular tissue called the choroid, and we'll maybe go into that a bit later. So what we're talking about here is a potential problem with being able to see with acuity or detail. Visual acuity is specifically talking about the clarity of your vision, how much detail you can see. And I think as we move ahead from an anatomical perspective, it's important to realize or recognize that the anatomy of the eye itself is different from the structures that control the eye. So in your ability to roll your eyes if you're unhappy with something or close your eyelids, that's all extraocular, meaning outside of the eyeball itself. That's a good point, Michelle, because in fact, the central part of your retina, which is your highest visual acuity, you have to keep moving your eyes to keep your object that you're focusing on falling on that part of your retina. Oh, so does macular degeneration affect the way we move our eyes? No, it doesn't. Maybe we should ask our anatomist to explain how humans coordinate movements of both our eyes. So if you notice when you're looking at each other, both eyes stay forward and coordinated in their movement. So one eye doesn't move to the left when the other one's moving to the right. And that is due to the fact that you have paired equivalent muscles. There's a pair above, there's a pair below, there's a pair on either side of the eye. 
and they control upward, downward, left to right movement, as well as if you've noticed when you turn your head to one side or the other one, your eyeballs stay relatively stable, known as intorsion and extorsion. And those extraocular outside the eyeball muscles are what control that. Right. So macular degeneration is actually happening within the eye. Could you talk a little bit about the structure of the internal eye? I suppose the good analogy is like a camera. In fact, the word camera means eye. So the camera we all use, although most of us use iPhones now, but a traditional camera, you have a lens at the front. Well, in the human eye, we have a cornea at the front. And the clear cornea sits in front of the colored part of the eye, which is the iris, which has an aperture in it, the same as the aperture in the diaphragm of a camera. And then the light enters through the cornea, through the anterior chamber of the eye, which lies in front of your iris. And the light then passes through the pupil, and it's then refracted partly by the lens. But in fact, most of the refraction takes place at the cornea. Light then enters through the the lens, goes through the vitreous, and reaches the retina. And imagine the inside of a camera being like a dome instead of a square camera. And it's fascinating how that image from the exterior world is then displayed onto the back of your eye, which is lined by a special layer of neural tissue called the retina, which is really like a slice of brain. And all that light and vision and color, all that contrast, black, white, and the multitudes of things that come in through the the eye reach the retina, and then the brain untangles it and forms an image of the world. And it's happening all the time, and it's happening really quick. It's just incredible. And that's a really good point. So the eye itself is really an extension of the brain or neural tissue. That's right, yeah. In fact, the pouching out of the brain very early in life to form the three layers of the eye just shows that it is actually a part of the brain. It's got the exact analogous layers of the protective covering. In the brain, it's the dura mater, and in the eye, it's the sclera and the cornea. And then there's a vascular layer over the brain, the arachnoid. That's analogous structure in the eye is called the uveal tract. And then the retina is the equivalent of the neural tissue within the brain. So it's exactly an outpouching of the brain. So what you're saying is hashtag embryology matters. In this disease, macular degeneration, could you explain about how the macula fits into the broader eye? The macula is an area of specialized retina which lies in the direct visual axis. It's where the thing that we are concentrating most on actually falls on this inverted dome-shaped retina at the back of our eye, lining the inside. And the macula, it's not a big area, it's only sort of four or five millimeters wide, but the central part of it, the fovea, is where we use for our very, very sharpest vision. But there's this other hole inside of the dome. If you think of the film in a camera, There's lots and lots of other film, which is the rest of our retina, that's responsible for all the rest of the visual field around us. But the macula is the bit where we've got most cones and less rods and the highest density of cones. And so it needs more nourishment than the rest of the retina. And can you describe the purpose of cones and rods a little bit more? We're one of the few species, since we are primates, primates have got color vision. Other animals do have color vision. Fish have got color vision. Birds have got color vision. So we're not unique in that and having color vision. Um, A lot of animals don't have color vision. But the cones are responsible for color vision and rods are responsible for 
contrast the dark and light that we see and rods are especially good at functioning in poor light condition and cones really really need a lot of light to function which is why at night time the grass doesn't appear green it appears gray because our cones can't function in the dark i've noticed when you look at the sky at night that when you look directly at the stars you can see them but it almost seems as though the stars in your peripheral vision are more clear and easy to see until you avert your eyes and look at them and then all of a sudden they become a little bit more dull is that related to the density of cones and rods on the retina that's a, that's a great point and there's a couple of constellations in the sky particularly that you can practice this on and um, when you look directly at them you can hardly see many stars in that constellation and it's only when you take your central vision off of that constellation and look to the side what you're then doing is the image of that constellation will fall in your peripheral retina which has got a lot of rods and very good at picking up little dull parts of light coming into the eye if you move your central vision back to that constellation the image of the constellation falls on your macula which doesn't have many rods it's mostly cone dominated so therefore it doesn't have the ability to pick up some of those little stars until you move your eye sideways again. So it's a great thing that people practice at home. Go out and look at the stars tonight. It really illustrates the distribution of rods to cones and the importance of light to excite or activate them. Yes, absolutely. It seems as though the eye is immensely complex for such a small organ. There are these supportive structures. Their only function is really to focus the light. And then you have this back part of the eye where the light is falling and your brain is then taking that image and processing it. And it seems as though our most acute vision falls down to this four to five millimeter spot that you mentioned. So damage to this tiny spot can cause some real problems. How does that damage actually occur? So in terms of risk factors and what causes macular degeneration, it's still an area that is under research. At this stage, we know that it's probably a mix of both genetic or inherited factors and factors in our environment. Risk factors that have been identified are age, family history, and smoking. So if you have a first-degree relative who has macular degeneration, you have about a 50% risk of having it yourself. By smoking, you increase your risk of acquiring macular degeneration three to four times. There are some rare cases where we do understand the genetics a bit more, such as Stargardt disease, which is a cause of macular degeneration in younger people, However, those cases are quite rare. There is a variation in risk amongst the different humans and macular degeneration is not as common in darker skinned people. I know from talking to the people that performed the Blue Mountain studies, the Blue Mountains in Australia, that the risk factor for exposure to UV light was very, very close to being significant, but it didn't quite make it statistically. But there's no question that people who are exposed to a lot of light are at higher risk of damaging the retina and that can be light associated damage people that do a lot of microscopy for example or are in high intense light environments this can accelerate the disease so it doesn't matter the type of light just the fact that you're exposed to light mostly in the blue wavelengths is the more dangerous which you see in the, the sunglass industry they tend to tint glasses a certain way and that's because we've known for some time that those bluer wavelengths are more dangerous for the human eye so it is really important to wear your sunnies or sunglasses outside absolutely is all amd or age-related macular degeneration the same or are there different types there are two major types of macular degeneration being wet and dry and there's different underlying processes 
and hence we treat them a little differently. Let's start with dry. In dry macular degeneration, there is a loss of blood supply to the macula. There are probably a lot more people with dry AMD than there are with wet AMD. And in fact, most elderly people have small focal lesions at the back of their eye called drusen. And these are just age-related accumulation of lipid material underneath the retinal pigment epithelium, which is the pigmented layer behind the neural part of the retina. And dry AMD is when some of this material builds up and accumulates to the point that it interferes with the nutrition getting to the retina from behind, from the choroid. And you start to get a degenerative process in the retinal pigment epithelium. Now, many people have that, and that's called dry AMD. And it's more common, obviously, as we get older. But the real, perhaps more dangerous type of AMD is the wet AMD. Because what happens there is the retina begins to lack nourishment and starts to secrete factors that cause in new blood vessels because it requires nourishment. And those blood vessels grow from the choroid, which is behind the retina and behind the pigment epithelium. And those blood vessels rupture through the pigment epithelium. They grow into the retina from the underside and proliferate. And that is what we call neovascularization or wet AMD. Wet as in it's allowing blood into the retina where it shouldn't be. And that's the nasty part of AMD. So the difference between the two types, it sounds like death of the cell because of nutritional deficits or blockage of that area because of the vascular supply growing in. Yes. So some people will have it dry AMD and it will never develop into wet AMD. And some people will develop dry AMD that will lead to wet AMD. And some people seem to go into wet AMD without having long periods of other forms of degeneration in the retina. But yes, it's essentially the wet part describes blood vessels coming from the choroid behind the retina and rupturing into the undersurface of the retina, which is there's not normally blood vessels there. And that vascular tissue grows into the space where the photoreceptors exist. And that's what causes severe interruption between the photoreceptors and the retinal pigment epithelium underneath. Do people with macular degeneration go blind suddenly or is this more of a chronic process? Well, it depends whether it's dry AMD or wet AMD. Dry AMD is a very chronic, slow progression. Wet AMD, those blood vessels that I described earlier, that can happen quite quickly. And if those vessels, which are generally weaker and not adapted for the retina, they come from the vascular layer behind called the choroid, if those rupture and you get bleeding into underneath the retina, that can lead to sudden onset of vision loss. But it's not just vision loss that people with macular degeneration might experience. I think when we talk about going blind, we often think of just complete loss of vision. But people in earlier stages of macular degeneration might also see things like uh, their vision going wavy or seeing wavy lines having some haziness, and also similar to your discussion of the stars in the sky, they might see things clearly in their peripheral vision, but when they turn to face them, then they go blurry. We all can see this every night when you look at the television, we can see how the brain is very good at covering up what it sees. If you look at the screen of the television every night, there's usually a little advert down in the bottom right-hand corner telling you something that's coming on the next program or whether it's which channel the TV is. And whilst we notice it for the first few seconds, our brain quickly turns that image off and we ignore it. And in fact, the brain does that all the time because it gets rid of the patch in the eye called the blind spot where we don't actually have any retina. But we don't walk around with a big black hole in our visual field. 
the brain covers that up. And this is exactly what happens with people with macular degeneration. The brain starts to cope with this loss of acuity and it uses other mechanisms. So it sort of fills in the black spot. It creates something that isn't there yes, to replace it. absolutely. That can be quite dangerous, can't it? Particularly if you're doing something that requires good visual acuity, such as driving. Oftentimes, macular degeneration is picked up when people go to resit for their license and they get their vision test because they've adapted for so long that they haven't noticed until it's formally tested. You don't just end up with a big black hole in your vision, your visual field. It happens gradually and the brain adapts to it and people are often not aware that they have lost quite a bit of vision. So when I was a kid at school, I remember they came in with some glasses that sort of simulated what it was like to have, say, macular degeneration or cataract. And I remember these glasses having these big black holes in your vision. And so what you're saying is that's not quite accurate. No, that's exactly It's not accurate. To replicate what it would be like with someone with macular degeneration, just got a normal pair of spectacles and look straight ahead and then get Vaseline and rub Vaseline on the centre of both lenses of your glasses and then try and walk around your house, because that's more akin to what it really looks like. And just jumping back a bit, we talked about how the macula has this high density of cones, or those colour-sensing cells. I didn't really notice that the glasses affected colour vision at all. So does macular degeneration specifically affect colour vision? So if the model I gave you there was rubbing Vaseline on the centre of the lenses of your glasses, that would change your visual acuity, in other words, how sharp things are. But you're correct, earlier on we talked about how the macula is where we have most cones and that's where we use most for our colour vision. But you just need to look at the world around you. Your peripheral retina still sees colour. Otherwise you would only see colour in the thing that you're looking at and black and white around you. So clearly there's a gradation from cones mostly in the macula to mostly rods in the periphery. There's a gradual change. It's not a sharp change and our brain adapts to that and fills in some of those colours. But yes, people would have poorer visual acuity in the macular area if they had macular degeneration. Yeah, poor colour and visual acuity problems. So it seems that macular degeneration affects a relatively small area of the eye or retina, but the significance is pretty broad on vision. It also appears that the brain can compensate for this, so often patients or people suffering from macular degeneration are unaware that they have a problem. If macular degeneration is asymptomatic at the start, how do we know who to test? And when we do test them, what do we use to assess their vision? Well, getting back to the risk factors we discussed, of those risk factors, age is by far the biggest. So we tend to go looking for macular degeneration in people above the age of 50. It's actually recommended that people over the age of 50 check their vision at home once a week using something known as an Amsler grid. If someone's actually diagnosed with macular degeneration, they should do this every day, though, to check for any sudden changes. What an Amsler grid is, is a printed grid, with the grid being in black on a white background, and it's got a dot in the centre of it. You hold the grid at arm's length and you focus on the dot. If someone noticed then that any part of that grid becomes wavy or hazy, or there are any blank spaces, that's concerning and something that you should go get checked out. When you go to see a health professional about visual changes, whether that be a doctor or an optometrist, they'll go through a standardised approach to fully assess your vision. A full visual examination will involve checking visual acuity or the clarity of your vision. 
Most listeners have probably seen a Snellen chart in a doctor's office before. That's the chart with the rows of letters that progressively get smaller in size that you have to try and read from a distance. Other examinations that might be done include checking the movements of the eye produced by the extraocular muscles that we discussed before, checking for the blind spot or the area of the retina that can't see anything, and checking colour vision for potential colour blindness using a special image made up of different dots on which you can only see a particular pattern if you can detect differences in the colour. To look at the retina directly, your health professional will then use an ophthalmoscope or a special slit lamp to look into your eye. To do this, they might put in some medicated drops to dilate your pupil to be able to get a better look at the retina. What might you see if you looked into an eye that has macular degeneration? Well, when you look at a retinal image at the back of the eye using a thalmoscope or retinal camera, you see this sort of orangey background, which is actually the vascular layer of the choroid behind. But from the optic nerve, you see these blood vessels radiating out, and these are the retinal blood vessels, and they form a very distinctive pattern. And that pattern is very, very continuous between different individuals, and ophthalmologists and optometrists are very practiced and aware of that pattern and looking for abnormalities. Now, when somebody has AMD, that vascular tissue behind it gives the image a sort of orangey background colour. That's the blood vessels that rupture into your retina, because those retinal vessels are very small, very thin, and there's not very many of them, because remember, we've got to see through that retina, so you don't want a lot of blood vessels in there. You just need enough to keep your retina nourished, and it's those blood vessels in the back of the choroid, if they rupture through, they appear very differently, because they've got to come through the pigmented layer, and that pigmented layer is black, and that causes part of what you see in the retinal image, and if that's disturbed, you see very obvious signs of it. I think I've experienced, and I'm sure some of our listeners have experienced, when a flash goes off, you sort of see a pattern maybe of blood vessels. Are these the blood vessels that you're referring to? Yes. In fact, it's called uh, entopic phenomena. And believe it or not, you can see it every morning when you wake up. And if you've got a window beside you, your first couple of blinks in the morning when you open your eyes, there's a spider web type appearance of your visual field. That is actually your retinal vasculature. And if you look at in a book of the picture of a retinal vascular tree, and then the following morning do those blinks, then you will see the familiarity of the two images because that is actually what you're seeing. What's absolutely amazing about this conversation is essentially we can see our own eye anatomy. Absolutely. And I know some very famous professors of ophthalmology have diagnosed some of their own eye abnormalities by using this phenomenon. A little trick you can play is get your iPhone, turn on the torch, and get the torch and press it against the side of your eye and wiggle it around and you will often get the complete vascular network of the retina appearing. It's amazing. To clarify, that would be over the skin, not directly on the eyeball. Close your eyelids, absolutely. It's a use of an iPhone that hasn't ever been described before, but yes. I've also read very briefly about this condition called Charles Bonnet syndrome. Could you please explain what that is exactly? Charles Bonnet syndrome is really interesting. It's also known as phantom vision and is used to describe visual hallucinations seen by some people with severe vision loss, including severe macular degeneration. Hallucinations, particularly in this case visual hallucinations, is where someone sees things that aren't actually there. 
oftentimes people think of hallucinations happening in people who are mentally unwell with a condition like schizophrenia. However, in Charles Bonnet syndrome, these hallucinations are happening in someone who is mentally well. It's just that they've got severe vision loss. This syndrome often happens in people who lose their vision much later in life. And the hallucinations could be just lines or shapes, or they may be actual objects and sometimes quite even bizarre, fantastical objects like dragons. What's happening here is that it's like the brain isn't used to not having the visual input. So instead of when you lose your vision quite gradually, the brain adapting and you not realizing that they've lost your vision, it's a quite sudden loss of vision. The brain's so not used to that that it essentially starts making things up. And often people with this syndrome are aware that they have hallucinations and the things aren't there. They know they're not there, but they can still see them. Georgie, that's a fantastic point. And it brings us back to making us realize this connection between the retina and the brain. And it is an outpouching of the brain because it's actually your brain that sees. It's not your retina. And a classic example is that of one that we live with every day. And that's we dream. And when you're dreaming, you're seeing this visual world. We all know that. We've envisioned all these fantastic things. They're hallucinations in a sense, but you're sleeping while it I suppose Charles Bonnet is the same sort of thing, but you're actually awake. And what we call that period of sleep is REM for rapid eye movement, which again highlights the fact that eye movement is required for seeing. We've said that the retina is really just an outpouching of the brain. From what I know, the brain tissue doesn't really regenerate when it dies. So what are some of the things that we can do to stop the progression or treat macular degeneration? It's absolutely correct, Jonathan. Once you've lost those cells, you can't grow any more. So treatment of macular degeneration is going to focus on prevention if you don't already have it, so reducing your risk factors. If you do have it, treatment focuses on slowing the progression of the disease. And this can involve lifestyle modifications, medications, and perhaps maybe laser that we'll get into shortly. To decrease your risk of macular degeneration, the best thing you can do is quit smoking if you smoke. There's also some evidence that modifying your diet to include green leafy vegetables and things like fish and less sugar might help. But this evidence is from observational studies, so we don't fully know the benefit of diet. Treatment also differs depending on whether someone has dry or wet macular degeneration. For dry macular degeneration, it's really the lifestyle interventions that we've discussed. For wet macular degeneration, we still use those same lifestyle interventions, but we also have some medications that can help slow the progression of the disease by helping prevent the growth of those abnormal blood vessels. This brings us back to what the cause of wet AMD is in the first place. It's essentially a problem with this pigmented layer behind the neural retina, which is the part that resembles the brain. And this pigmented layer, the retinal pigment epithelium, it's defects in this layer that eventually let the blood vessels rupture through from behind from the choroid. And those blood vessels tend to leak and bleed and cause problems. Now those blood vessels rupture through. Remember I described earlier how they're sort of called in from a, a retina which is lacking nourishment. And the way that the retina signals is it produces VGF, vascular endothelial growth factor. It produces this factor which causes new vessels to grow towards this chemotactic signal. 
And so that's why this is the most common treatment now is anti-VGF. It's a drug that's injected into the middle of the eye, into the vitreous, and it's a synthesized monoclonal antibody which blocks the action of VGF, which people with wet AMD will be producing abnormal quantities of VGF. And this drug actually soaks it up or absorbs it, and that's why we have to have repeated injections of anti-VGF. Paul, would you mind taking a moment to clarify how an antibody works in this situation? Well, the anti-VGF is a monoclonal antibody synthesized to bind and absorb the VGF. And it's a bit like locks and keys. The locks will soak up all the keys. If there's no keys floating around, then there's no VGF floating around. And that stops the signal passing to the choroid behind the pigment epithelium and stops the blood vessels growing in. That's a great analogy. So in this case, the VEGF is the key that opens a door to allow the vascular supply to grow into that space. And what we're doing is preventing that key from opening the door. Yes, absolutely. Great analogy. There is emerging evidence that lasers might have a role in also treating wet macular degeneration. Oh, lasers on the eye. Now, there's a Pandora's box. Um, (laughs) There are lots of different types of lasers. The lasers you're probably referring to are a new generation of essentially YAG lasers, which are a laser that cuts and damages tissue without heating it. So some patients, for example, diabetics, get the new blood vessels that are growing in diabetic retinopathy. They get them coagulated by a different type of laser which actually heats and coagulates the the blood vessels and damages the retina. But the laser that's being suggested for treatment for AMD is a different type of laser altogether. But from discussions with some of the people who are actually doing these studies, I think it might be a bit premature yet to say whether this is going to work in AMD. I think that's a really critical point on many of these podcasts is that research is still ongoing in many areas of medicine. And so this is a potential area that we're going to be studying and evaluating further. If I could just raise that, that's very interesting, very topical. There was a study released from Murfield's Eye Hospital in London suggesting that new stem cell therapy could be used to grow a patient's retinal pigment epithelium onto a little flat disc. And that flat disc can then be surgically inserted in between the retina and the sick patient's almost defective retinal pigment epithelium and a new layer of stem cell-grown pigment epithelium can be put in between. But again, it's still in the laboratory phase, and it's a long way from actually reaching the clinic. And we can provide a link to that on the website. Is there a role for diets and supplements in age-related macular degeneration? That's a tricky question, because the evidence base supporting the use of diet modification and supplements in macular degeneration is not great at this stage. However, when we're talking about diet modification, the things that have been suggested as benefiting macular degeneration include things like eating more green vegetables, eating less sugar, eating more oily fish. And these are things that actually have quite good evidence in improving your risk factor profile for other diseases like cardiovascular disease. So if you're going to modify your diet in this way, you're going to benefit your risk factor profile for lots of diseases. But for macular degeneration, we're not sure yet, but it's going to benefit you overall and it's not going to cause you any harm. So I think that's all we have time for today. I want to thank my excellent interdisciplinary team. And I think the take-home message about macular degeneration and the treatment of it is to definitely watch this space. Don't forget to head over to our website, askanatomist.com, for more episodes and links to resources.
and follow us on Twitter. So if there's a topic you'd like us to cover, don't hesitate to ask anatomist and use the hashtag AnatQ.